You're listening to Radio Free Satan. Enjoy the show. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. It is that time of week yet again. It's Nine Cents. Welcome. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I'm your host, Adam Campbell. It's January 22nd, and we have one more week after this episode that I didn't originally plan on. So that's right, I'm going to be talking about Radio Free Satan's Fun Drive for another week. Lucky you. (laughs) It's at the beginning of the show, it doesn't really impact the show at all. You know, that's actually not true. It does impact the show quite a bit. Your donation to Radio Free Satan ensures that Radio Free Satan continues to exist. So it may be a little aggravating me bugging you about it for all of January. Let's assume you don't fast forward <laughs> past the segment. Let's, if you do not fast forward past the segment and you don't pick up this podcast solely to listen to the interviews... Let's say 50% of you are just interview people. The other 50% of you actually listen to this podcast for the reason I made it, and that's (laughs) for me to deliver my perspective. For that crowd, all of you really, but I'm going to specifically talk to the the Adam crowd, those of you who like hearing what I have to say. And if not really like it, listen. (laughs) You know, it doesn't bother you enough to turn it off. You ran out of all your really good podcasts during the week, and this is the only one you have left to listen to, and you're like, eh, it's either that or I listen to, I don't know, Knocking on Heaven's Door for the thousandth time. Put put that down for a minute. Just listen to this. Radio Free Satan delivers you, the audience, a lot of, I'm going to say original content because of the way it's delivered. It's not original as in they didn't write the songs for the individual DJs, but they did take their time out of their lives, of which they have busy ones, to collaborate to put these songs together. They're not getting anything out of it other than the satisfaction of knowing that there's an audience listening to it. And that should be enough for you to want to donate. But there's bills to pay on top of that. There's rights for that music that you're enjoying. So please, if you have the capacity, if you are able, push a dollar, push five dollars, ten dollars, twenty dollars. If you can push a thousand, push that toward Radio Free Satan. There's a donate button on the home page. It's very much appreciated. And if you do, I'm going to give you a little gift. You're not paying for the gift. You're donating money to Radio Free Satan to keep it going. But because you do that, I'm going to give you a gift. And all you've got to do for that gift is prove that you paid it. That's it. Nothing fancy, nothing time-consuming. Just prove it and you get something for free. Who doesn't like free shit? Really. Okay, but the free stuff you're getting is great. So for $10, I'm going to give you a track that I have now branded as Black House Blues. This is a experiment in music that me and a couple other fellow devils have put together. You can find out information at blackhouseblues.com. There's actually a Facebook page, there's a uh, Google Plus page, and there's a Satan Net page.
page specifically for it as well. Now, nothing has been announced as of yet, but it's in the mail, people. And if you donate $10 to Radio Free Satan, you're going to find out before anyone else what it means. You're going to get this first song that we collaborated on, and it's a good one. And I'm not just saying that because I'm in it. I'm say- I, Okay, I am saying that because I had a part in, in the actual song. But really, it's actually a really good song. And it's not just a really good song because the way we performed it, though that is also a huge part of, of what makes it a very quality song, but the original that we had sort of transformed into a more bluesy take was an amazing song, and one that is uh, very well-known and important to us Satanists. So, if you want to hear that song, donate $10. Uh, $20 is going to get you my ebook, and you can have that as an EPUB, so you can manage and read it however you'd like, or as a high-res PDF. $50, you're going to be the first, oh, one of the first, I'm the first, deal with it, <laughs> to get a $0.09 cents t-shirt. Now, these are not available yet, so the only way you're going to get your hands on one of these bad boys, assuming you even care, <laughs> and if you're listening to this, I'm hoping that you care, but even if you don't, listen up anyway, this is the way you're going to do it. You send $50 in to Radio Free Satan, and I'm going to send you, okay, that's a lie, I'm not going to send it to you, I'm going to pay and make the request to Asp Apparel. They're going to send you the t-shirt. So, nine cents t-shirt, gratis, free, all for you, as long as you donate $50. And at any of those rates, um, if at $20 you want the song rather than the ebook, no problem. If at $50 you want the ebook or you want the song rather than the t-shirt, no problem. You let me know. We really do appreciate the support you guys have given us in the past and knock on wood, in the future. So, thank you so much for putting up with me, and I'm going to do this one more week. Like I said, 29th is next week, so one more week you're going to hear about this, and then I'm going to stop for another year. So, do what you can. Help Radio Free Satan out. We really appreciate it. Let's talk a little bit about Black House Blues. So, I had mentioned that this is sort of the experiment name uh, of a, a few devils, and this really started with uh, Les Hernandez and myself. Um, He came here last August, and I had mentioned not only in our interview with um, Les Hernandez uh, late last year, but also in previous episodes randomly throughout since, that, I mean, this project had so many times that it was going to die, and we just kept trying to get other people involved that were uh, capable of, of setting it up the way we wanted it set up. Um, ultimately we ended with an amazing group of musicians and we collaborated together and it is not over. So we do have this first song, which we're looking forward to that I'm not going to give any spoilers away unless of course you donate to Radio Free Satan. But if you want to learn more about it, the only way you're going to do that is by subscribing to the pages, either on Facebook for Black House Blues or Google Plus or SatanNet or visit the website at blackhouseblues.com, or listen to this podcast, and I'll let you know as soon as I can. But like I said, there's more stuff than just that first track coming out. And I'm not only collaborating with these amazing musicians that helped me with that first track. Black House Blues is going to deliver a lot of other wonderful, satanic takes and originals uh, on some really amazing songs. And these are going to all be in the vein of blues, though... Uh, the one I'm working on right now is a little bit more jazz, but it's slow, it's 
full-on attitude. It is sexy, and it is going to kick ass. I cannot wait for you guys to hear this. I'm really excited about it. So, stay tuned for that. Very exciting as far as Nine Cents is concerned. And, like I said before, Asp Apparel, that t-shirt, that's, that clothing is not, and I have gotten requests for it. The clothing is not available yet. It will be soon. I want to offer Radio Free Satan donators the first chance to get their hand on hands on this t-shirt, um, this design, and then I'm going to offer it to the general public. Look forward to a big announcement through Asp Apparel. You can check out their website at aspapparel.com, or you can just check their Facebook page, their Google Plus page, their... They're everywhere, every social network that you need to. So Asp Apparel, Nine Cents, collaborating in the near future. I also wanted to talk, you know, whenever I hear about Satanists talking about their children, they're always these gifted children, or they're always in these wonderful elitist positions, and no one ever seems to talk about their kids that are just normal, struggling children. Well, I've got some normal, struggling children. And it's not easy being a parent of um, any child. They present challenges that you may not have anticipated, you didn't see coming on the horizon. You had hoped, in some cases, that you never would have to deal with. But as life is, you take what is given to you and you deal it out best you can. Um, My children are amazing. I love them with all of my heart. But, you know, sometimes you deal with things that, like I said before, you didn't anticipate coming down the line. And no one wants advice from other people. You know, we get that a lot whenever we mention troubles on uh, Facebook or, or any social networking site. People just immediately jump on the bandwagon of, hey, let me help you solve this. Well, that's not what we're doing. You know, whenever we have a problem, maybe we just want to get it out of our heads because then we can look at it a little bit more objectively. We can step around the situation rather than just having it rattle up in our brain for a while. Uh you know, we do the best we can with our kids. And it involves, a lot of the time, deep sorrow, uh, regret, fear. And these are all normal, healthy emotions when you're a parent. Um, If you didn't have those feelings, if you weren't concerned, then you probably aren't doing it right. <laughs> I mean, there's no right way to raise a child, don't get me wrong. But it's that idea that if you if you are not living in constant panic that your child is not living up to their full potential or you're being too involved in their life or not enough involved in their life or the challenges that they're facing, you're trying to solve for them rather than allowing them the opportunity to solve it for themselves and learn something from it. There's a lot going on as a parent that... And I don't even really know why I'm, I'm I'm mentioning this because I'm not going to give any specifics. But you know, it's one of those things. Like I just mentioned, maybe I just want to step around the problem a little bit and look at it from a different angle. My children aren't perfect. They they have a lot of of problems. Probably me for one. <laughs> Having me as a father uh, probably is a pretty large liability in the health of of a child. Um, and I, I I laugh about it. But I do honestly think there's some truth to that. You know, in in Hydra M. Starr's interview um, in the Creature Feature segment today, we're going to be talking a little bit about ego. And really, we just sort of brush over the topic. But I think it's a huge... 
it's a huge issue when it comes to Satanists, and especially Satanists who are raising children, because you have to be able to step outside of your ego and focus on your children and helping them develop a healthy but not counterproductive ego of their own. And it's, it's a, a continuous struggle for me um, in this case because I feel I, a lot of the times I just feel like a megalomaniac because I, I just, I really, I'm a selfish human being. And when it comes, and I'm okay with that as far as I am concerned. You know, wrapping me up in this bubble of Adam, I am okay with being uh, a megalomaniac. I'm okay with being um, um, an arrogant prick or as I've commonly been called by virtually everyone I've ever met, an asshole. I'm okay with that. What I'm not okay with is being that with my kid. You know, it's it's something where you, you have to be able to take what you are and set it on the shelf because they don't care. Your kids don't care about who and what you are and the challenges that you've gone through and, and the struggles that you've gone through and, and, and the achievements. They're trying to deal with their own and they need a parent to help them succeed. Now, and this is, you know, again, going back to that whole Facebook posting your problems, sometimes they don't want an answer. They just want you to listen. And that's one of the things I struggle with a lot. Um, I want... I want to be involved, and I have to force myself, unless they ask. This is going back to some of those rules of the earth as well. And we're going to talk about number eight in this Devil's Advocate. Don't get involved unless they ask for it. Sometimes they just want to bounce information off of you. It's completely normal. And I'm not saying this because anyone out there has mentioned anything. I, I really just, I feel like I give you a lot of my perspectives about other things, and I never really talk about me as, as far as my vulnerabilities, my, my shortcomings. And, um, you know, this interview with Hydra M. Star, I feel like I owe it to my audience to be 100% honest. And I'm not looking for advice. I'm just sort of stepping around the problem. So I hope you can indulge me the time that I've spent talking about this in as abstract a way as I've been talking about it. But sometimes all we need is a bit of silent air to reverberate our thoughts in. And I thank you for affording me that. As I've mentioned already in The Devil's Advocate, I'm going to be talking about the Eighth Satanic Rule of the Earth. Now, this was brought up in Josephine Seven's interview last week. And it's a topic that I've talked about briefly um, when I went over the Eleventh Rules of the Earth early last year. Um... I want to talk about it again. Uh, Magister Nemo made a lot of posts on um, uh, Satanet. Uh, I, I say a lot of posts. He put out an essay of his. I'm not going to be talking about his take on it, but I mention it to let you know that this is one of those tenets for Satanists that is always out there, and it is always this vague notion of... Well, I'll get into it in a little bit. In Infernal Informant, I think this time, this week, I'm only going to be bringing you one article. Now, this is a longer article, but I think it's an important one. Uh, Ten Reasons the United States is no longer the land of the free. I think it's really good. I'm going to give you a lot of commentary in it, so if you can, I appreciate you listening. Uh, 
And the creature feature, as I've already, already said, uh, Hydra M. Star. We're going to be talking about her essay and experience with Lilith Awakened. Available now. Go to lulu.com. Um, compiled by Ann Oksher. This is a little bit different. This is not physical abuse. This is not emotional abuse, as we've talked about in the past. This is very much internalized. Now, you you can listen to this interview and take away from it that it was an existing problem that was exacerbated by poor familial behavior. Or you can take it as it was caused by poor familial behavior. However you want to take it, this is an interview and this is a topic that is very, very important. It, it is something that I think is dormant in every single one of us. Some of us have a more severe experience with it. Uh, and I think this is going to help. I hope this is going to help those of you who need it. I don't think I'm going to have time for Bizarre Bizarre, but I do have one lined up just in case. And that's going to do it for another show. So, please, stick around for the entirety. The Devil's Advocate starts now. Why bother? How you done? Great. Let's cut the bullshit and get real. Why this purity you feel about evil? For Christ's sake, why? Don't lie to me. I guess, Father. You gotta feel that old nick in your soul. And it becomes clear. Like it did for me, the first time. That's when I realized my one true calling in life. And what's that? Shit, man. <laughs> I'm a born devil's advocate. Welcome to the devil's advocate. I'm a Satanist. I'm a member of the Church of Satan. But I do not speak for the Church of Satan. That is all. Alright, so I said I was going to be talking about the 8th Satanic Rule of the Earth. Now, these are from the 11 Satanic Rules of the Earth by Anton Zandolvay, uh, put out in 1967. You can find this on the Church of Satan website. But I'm not just going to talk about the 8th, because I had mentioned earlier that um, you know this was in response to some interviews that I have conducted already. Well, I'm going to be covering a couple of these, actually. One, do not give opinions or advice unless you are asked. Two, do not tell troubles to others unless you're sure they want to hear them. And eight, uh, do not complain about anything to which you need not subject yourself. I think these are all connected. Do not give advice or opinions unless you're asked is, is pretty simple, but it's, it's a really, it, it's a complex idea for some people. I think we're either born in a way where we want to help those we love or we want to help those we care about or we are born more observers where we just 
want to soak in our environments and we want to observe other people as they're interacting with their environment. There's no right or wrong, there's no good or bad version here, but it is something that we all have to deal with. Um, if you're born as one of those uh, uh, interactors, I'll say, rather than the observers, and you want to get involved, well, keep in mind that people don't appreciate that. <laughs> it's very rare you find someone who comes to you without blatantly asking for your help. They just want, you know, you may say, how is your day? How are things going? How's the family? How's the job? And because you are close to them, you, uh, they, you know, they, they confide in you. Well, if they don't ask for help, if they don't ask for opinions or advice, and you try to help, what you're doing is, is inflicting your will on them. And that's not something that you do to your friends. Uh, that's, not due to, that's not something you do to people you love, people that you respect and hopefully respect you. If you respect them, then you'll respect their willingness and their ability to deal with their problems themselves. As I mentioned at the top, sometimes we just want to see the other side of our argument. And hearing it out loud sometimes is just what we need. Um, do not give opinions or advice unless you're asked. Two, uh, do not tell your troubles to others unless you're sure they want to hear them. And this, like I said, is the flip side of one here. And, and this is also something that we're going to be talking about in, in this interview today with Hydra M. Starr. Uh, it's just, and, and I, we, we talked about it briefly last week with Josephine Seven here. When you're talking to someone that you care about, when, when you're talking to someone that you find it within you uh, to talk to them, <laughs> if you respect them enough to talk to them on a regular basis, basis if, they've, if they've proven uh, if they've given respect and they've earned yours, well, there's no problem in telling your troubles to them if they expect it, if they want it. And you can know by them not just walking up to you on the street and saying, how are you, but if they delve deeper. If, if your friend comes up to you, if your spouse, your lover, your child, um, co-worker, boss, what have you, and they ask you, if they come straight out and ask you, if they ask, they want to hear what is going on. It's up to you. But if you're comfortable talking about it, tell them. And if it's a case of abuse, tell them. Because they wouldn't be asking if they didn't truly want to know and truly want to help. And if it's the case of a, a legal issue, if, if your life is at stake, we'll be damned if they want to know about it. You need help. If you are alone... And your survival, well, that's number one. Get law involved, law enforcement involved. Don't internalize these issues. And I'm talking specifically about abuse um, because of the interviews and, and Lilith Awakened uh, book that we're, we're focusing on this month. Um, but in general, um, emotional abuse, um, internalized. If, you, if, if you're feeling down, if you want to... Uh, if you're feeling out of sorts and you just don't have energy, if you don't like how that feels, if things are overwhelming, if you are drowning in your life, well, find those that love you. 
and get them involved. That doesn't break an 11th uh, rule of the earth. That doesn't make you less of a human being. That doesn't make you less of a Satanist. These are people who have chosen to have you in their life, who have chosen to be a part of your life. Allow them that opportunity because it just makes you stronger. Uh, And then do not complain about anything to which you need not subject yourself. If you are complaining about abuse, if you are complaining that your your spouse, be it a man or woman, is uh, emotionally abusing you, is physically abusing you, it's a decision you've made to stay with them. All right? It is your choice to not get out of that situation. So don't complain about it in that case. If you want to be self-destructive, that's your choice. If you want to let something drag you down and ultimately destroy you, I don't care. All right? That's your choice. But don't bitch about it while you're doing it. If you don't want it to happen, if you are not enabling it happening, well, then let's go back to those earlier tenants here and get other people involved that you know you love and that you know love you and that care about it. But don't just sit back passively with your head down in the dirt, complaining that your life is horrible and doing nothing to change it. We are adults. We are human beings. And as a species, we would not exist if we were acting like that. We are number one on this earth, specifically, because we, as a, as a group, as a whole, do not act like that. Now, our modern culture encourages that. It encourages these unrealistic ideals. But it's your choice to buy into it or not. It's your choice to look past it, have that perspective, that third side point of view. Ideally, you're not going to be listening to this if you didn't have that already. And for those of you who don't have it, who do not have that capacity within you, I don't care about you. I don't want you to listen to this. I'm not speaking to you. You're part of the problem. You're part of the reason why we as a species have become weaker, not stronger. And I do not want anything to do with you. But for those of you who are, don't be bitching about shit you can change. That's my way of, <laughs> that's my way of, of breaking an eloquently worded phrase. <laughs> Do not be bitching about things that you can change. <laughs> well said. Okay, well, that's going to do it for this Devil's Advocate. A little bit preachy. Okay, a lot of it preachy, actually. Um, but, I, you know, that, that's how I feel. Stand up. Be a damned human being. Stop wallowing in pity. Everyone needs pity parties from time to time. There's nothing wrong with that. But you have to have an endpoint to it. You can't be pity partying all day, right? Have your pity party. If you need to cry, well, fine. I don't care. Cry. But then stand on your damn feet, be a human being, be a grown-up. Face your problems head on and do not stop until they are no longer problems. That's what we are. Don't deny it. Let's move on to the infernal informant. Listen up, listen up. Hey, Good news. There's no devil. Bad news. No heaven. Nothing to say. I'm your informant. This is the Washington Post. 
by Jonathan Turley, published January 13th, 10 Reasons the U.S. is No Longer the Land of the Free. Every year, the State Department issues reports on individual rights in other countries, monitoring the passages of restrictive laws and regulations around the world. Iran, for example, has been criticized for denying fair public trials and limiting privacy, while Russia has been taken to task for undermining due process. Other countries have been condemned for the use of secret evidence and torture. Even as we pass judgment on countries we consider unfree, Americans remain confident that any definition of a free nation must include their own the land of the free. Yet, the laws and practices of the land should shake that confidence. In the decades since September 11, 2001, this country has comprehensively reduced civil liberties in the name of an expanded security state. The most recent example of this was the National Defense Authorization Act, signed December 31st, which allows for the indefinite detention of citizens. Let that sink in for a second. At what point does the reduction of individual rights in our country change how we define ourselves? While each new national security power Washington has embraced was controversial when enacted, they're often discussed in isolation. But they don't operate in isolation. They form a mosaic of powers under which our country should be considered, at least in part, authoritarian. Americans often proclaim our nation as a symbol of freedom to the world, while dismissing nations such as Cuba and China, that's right, I said Cuba, <laughs> how do you like me now, as categorically unfree. Yet objectively, we may be only half right. Those countries do lack basic individual rights, such as due process, placing them outside any reasonable definition of free. But the United States now has much more in common with such regimes than anyone might like to admit. These countries also have constitutions that purport to guarantee freedom of rights, but their governments have broad discretion to deny those rights and few real avenues for challenge by citizens. Precisely the problem with the new laws in this country. The list of powers acquired by the U.S. government since 9-11 puts us in rather troubling company. Assassination of U.S. citizens. President Obama has claimed, as President George W. Bush did before him, the right to order the killing of any citizen considered a terrorist or an abettor of terrorism. Last year, he approved the killing of U.S. citizen Anwar al-Awlaki, and I can't even say that right, and another citizen under the claimed inherent authority. Last month, administration officials affirmed the power, stating that the president can order the assassination of any citizen whom he considers allied with terrorists. Nations such as Nigeria, Iran, and Syria have been routinely criticized for extrajudicial killings of enemies of the state. Yeah, yeah, you heard me right. The president can order the assassination of any citizen, a citizen, whom he considers allied with terrorists. Now that in and of itself is not scary. That's actually good. Until you think, what's the definition of terrorist? And what's the definition of allied? Because if terrorist is a vague notion, if it's not just political, if it's not just anti-American. What if it's people suddenly who don't agree with the definition of marriage? Now, 
you may think that's jumping the gun here, but there are some very real Republican candidates who that is a serious issue, who could be seeing that as terrorism. Disagreeing with a Christian agenda could be seen as terrorism. And if you disagree with that, you're a terrorist or you're allied with terrorists. And if that's the case, then that president could order your assassination. Don't poo-poo it, because we're not that far away from it, folks. And that's what terrifies me as a free-thinking individual, as a Satanist. Indefinite detention is next. Under the law signed last month, terrorism suspects are to be held by the military. The president also has the authority to indefinitely detain citizens accused of terrorism. While the administration claims that this provision only codified existing law, experts wildly contest this view, and the administration has opposed efforts to challenge such authority in federal courts. The government continues to claim the right to strip citizens of legal protections based on its sole discretion. China recently codified a more limited detention law for its citizens, while countries such as Cambodia have been singled out by the United States for prolonged detention. Indefinite detention of citizens. Next, arbitrary justice. The president now decides whether a person will receive a trial in the federal courts or in a military tribunal, a system that has been ridiculed and around the world for lacking basic due process protections. Bush claimed this authority in 2001, and Obama has continued the practice. Egypt and China have been denounced for maintaining separate military justice system for selected defendants, including civilians. And yet here we are, doing it ourselves. Land of the free, home of the brave. Tongue firmly planted in cheek. What about warrantless searches? The president may now order warrantless surveillance, including a new capability to force companies and organizations to turn over information on citizens, finances, communications, and associations. Bush acquired this sweeping power under the Patriot Act in 2001, and in 2011, Obama extended the power, including searches for everything from business documents to library records. The government can use national security letters to demand, without probable cause, that organizations turn over information on citizens and order them not to reveal the disclosure to the affected party. That's right. They can ask for information on you about your associations, about books you get at the library without even telling you. Saudi Arabia and Pakistan operate under laws that allow the government to engage in widespread discretionary surveillance. Add America to it now. I was bitching about this in 2001 when I was in the military station in Germany when the Patriot Act first came out. I was screaming at my XOs and at my first sergeant and at my company commander and they all looked at me like I was an asshole again I come back to that term and that I was blowing things out of proportion and it's true that you know and I mentioned this article not to enact anything all right the reality is um, our government is not out to get its citizens I I truly believe that Um, the United States government acts with the best of intentions. The problem is (laughs) that there are human motivations behind those and that there is perspective blurring it all. 
So, uh, what is a terrorist to a uh, religious zealot, and what is a terrorist to a rational thinking atheist? Two very different terms. And they are very important to understand when you're the one in power. So do I think that Obama necessarily is going to be tapping my phone? No, I don't. Um, could he? Without me knowing? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he could be. The notion itself is a little bit scary. But there's no reason to be scared. Just keep in mind that we, uh, as Satanists, obey the law. With that in mind, it all comes out in the wash. So if something does happen, um, you know, you may be in the unfortunate situation of, of being at the sharp end of that stick. But in the scheme, grand scheme of things, in, in the evolution of species, um, it won't be a problem forever. Uh, and, and that's a little abstract, I know, but I think I think you're catching what I'm putting down here. I think you're understanding what I'm saying here. How about secret evidence? The government now routinely uses secret evidence to detain individuals and employs secret evidence in federal and military courts. It also forces the dismissal of cases against the United States by simply filing declarations that the case would make the government reveal classified information that would harm national security, a claim made in a variety of private lawsuits and largely accepted by federal judges without question. Even legal opinions cited at the basis for the government's action under the Bush and Obama administrations has been classified. This allows the government to claim secret legal arguments to support secret proceedings using secret evidence. Sounds like a bunch of bullshit, right? That's because it is. But it's real and it's happening. In addition, some cases never make it to court at all. The federal courts routinely deny constitutional challenges to policies and programs under a narrow definition of standing to bring a case. War crimes. The world clamored for prosecutions for those responsible for waterboarding terrorism suspects during the Bush administration, but the Obama administration said in 2009 that it would not allow the CIA employees to be investigated or prosecuted for such actions. This gutted not just treaty obligations, but the Nuremberg principles of international law. When courts in countries such as Spain moved to investigate Bush's officials for war crimes, the Obama administration reportedly urged foreign officials not to allow such cases to proceed, despite the fact that the United States has long claimed the same authority with regard to alleged war criminals in other countries. Various nations have resisted investigations of officials accused of war crimes and torture. Some, such as Serbia and Chile, eventually relented to comply with international law. Countries that have denied independent investigations include Iran, Syria, and China. Now, add America to that list. <laughs> now, actually, in this case, I don't care. If, with the best of intentions, if we are... Com <laughs> committing torture and it gets us information I don't have a problem with that what I have a problem with is that torture doesn't necessarily give you good you know actable intelligence and that's the problem with torture so I don't have a problem with torture I have a problem with the information torture gets us in that it's not as accurate as other ways of getting information of interrogation um with that in mind, 
I give a damn about what the rest of the world thinks of us. If they're going to bow down to what we demand, well, you know what? That's their choice. (laughs) We have the authority given by them to do things like this, to be this hypocritical. (laughs) We are the great Satan. Don't be stepping up. (laughs) I'm like adding in these weird like urban sayings. I sound like an old white dude trying to be hip. (laughs) I'm really not trying to. How about secret court for the next one? The government has increased its use of the secret foreign intelligence surveillance court, which has expanded its secret warrants to include individuals deemed to be aiding or abetting hostile foreign governments or organizations. In 2011, Obama renewed these powers, including allowing secret searches of individuals who are not part of an identifiable terrorist group. The administration has asserted the right to ignore congressional limits on such surveillance. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so um, we can have secret searches performed on us, even though we're not a part of an identified terrorist group. So not only is it bad enough that the the definition of terrorism is so vague, but now you don't even have to be identified with the terrorist group to be considered a terrorist group, and then to have secret searches performed on you without telling you about them. <laughs> it's insane, right? Hey, but at least we have 31 flavors of ice cream. (laughs) Right? We are just blinded by commerce so that we just ignore shit like this. Uh, Okay, well, what about uh, the fact that Pakistan places national security surveillance under the unchecked powers of the military or intelligence services? We complain about them doing it, but we, we have no problem doing it. Next, immunity from judicial review. Like the Bush administration, the Obama administration has successfully pushed for immunity for companies that assist in warrantless surveillance of citizens, blocking the ability of citizens to challenge the violation of privacy. Similarly, China has maintained sweeping immunity claims both inside and outside the country and routinely blocks lawsuits against private companies. What about continual monitoring of citizens? The Obama administration has successfully defended its claim that it can use GPS devices to monitor every move of targeted citizens without securing any court order or review. Did you know Saudi Arabia has installed massive public surveillance systems while Cuba, I said it again, Cuba, (laughs) is notorious for monitoring of selected citizens? Just like them, we follow suit. Extraordinary renditions. The government now has the ability to transfer both citizens and non-citizens to another country under a system known as extraordinary rendition, which has been denounced as using other countries, such as Syria, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, and Pakistan, to torture suspects. We can't torture ourselves, but if we use extraordinary rendition and someone else does it, then it's all right. See that? The Obama administration says it's not continuing the abuses of this practice under Bush, but it insists on the unfettered right to order such transfers, including the possible transfer of U.S. citizens. Oh, well, hey, just because they have the ability, that's enough, right? I mean, they're not going to use it. The Obama administration said they wouldn't, right? Right? See the sarcasm when I go up in my voice like that? Right? These new laws have come with an infusion of money into an expanded security system. 
on the state and federal levels, including more public surveillance cameras, tens of thousands of security personnel, and a massive expansion of a terrorist-chasing bureaucracy. Some politicians shrug and say these increases of power are merely a response to the times we live in. Thus, Senator Lindsey Graham, Republican South Carolina, could declare in an interview last spring without objection that free speech is a great idea, but we're in a war. That's right. He said that. It's a great idea, but we're in a war. Of course, terrorism will never surrender and end this particular war. I love that we as Americans declare war on abstract ideas. Because then you don't ever have to worry about justifying it, right? Other politicians rationalize that while such powers may exist, it really comes down to how they're used. This is the common response to liber- by liberals who cannot bring themselves to denounce Obama as they did Bush. Senator Carl Levine, Democrat of Michigan, for example, he insisted that Congress is not making any decision on indefinite detention. This is a decision which we leave where it belongs, in the executive branch. And in a signing statement with the defense authorization bill, Obama said he does not intend to <laughs> I love that. I don't intend to use the latest power to indefinitely imprison citizens. Yet he still accepted the power as a sort of regretful aura. I don't want this amazing authority to detain anyone I want, but all right, if you insist, I'll take it. An authoritarian nation is defined not just by the use of authoritarian powers, but by the ability to use them. If a president can take away your freedom or your life on his own authority, all rights become little more than a discretionary grant subject to executive will. The framers lived under the autocratic rule and understood this danger better than we do. James Madison famously warned that we needed a system that did not depend on the good intentions or motivations of our rulers. Quote, if men were angels, no government would be necessary, but were devils, right? That's the good part. So we do need a government to look after certain aspects. Benjamin Franklin was more direct in 1787, and Mrs. Powell confronted Franklin after the signing of the Constitution and asked, Well, Doctor, what have we got, a republic or a monarchy? His response was a bit chilling. A republic, madam, if you can keep it. Since 9-11, we have created a very government that framers feared. A government with sweeping and largely unchecked powers, resting on the hope that they will use it wisely. The indefinite detention provision in the Defense Authorization Bill seemed to many civil libertarians like a betrayal by Obama. While the president has promised to veto the law over the provision, Levine, a sponsor of the bill, disclosed on the Senate floor that it was in fact the White House that approved the removal of any exception for citizens from indefinite detention. Dishonesty from politicians is nothing new for Americans. The real question is whether we are lying to ourselves when we call this country the land of the free. That's the article. Thank you for sticking in there. There's a lot of chilling suggestions in this. And really, there's those two ways of looking at it. Initially, this is just the authority to do things like this when they need it, or... This is something that they're doing anyway, and now they're just legally doing it. 
look, the government was created to serve and protect the people. We are the ones allowing it to continue. We are the ones electing these assholes to pass these asshole bills. To take away our asshole freedoms. Now, we like to say their freedoms, we like to say their rights, but we're the ones giving them away. Keep that in mind when you vote. And that's why, in my humble opinion, it's so important to vote. Don't ever take the lesser of two evils. Don't ever compromise your integrity. Find someone that you respect and vote them as you will. Problem is, our system is made up of money, and whoever has the most money gets into office. Well, that's not going to change anytime soon, but that doesn't mean we should just cow our heads and let things happen because they're just going to inevitably happen anyway. We're Satanists. Stand up. Make a choice. Own it. And live it. Whatever it is, it's got to be yours. And if you're okay with provisions like these, if you're okay with a less free America... There's nothing wrong with that. It's a choice. I'm not entirely sure I am. Let's have a short break. We'll move over to Creature Feature. Hello, my name's Dave Ingram. And I'm Donovan. And we are Metal Breakfast Radio. Inviting you to join us with a few beers each week. For a dose of metal scrutiny. Some verbal skullduggery. And a hell of a lot of rubbish. Rubbish! Find us on metalbreakfastradio.com, darksentinel.dk, and radiofreesatan.com. Host of Deep Six Radio. And I am in Riz. Yes, we are. So if you want to be one of the six taking on the oh-so-lovely Idris and want to be featured on the show... Send your emails... And MP3s... To us at... Deep Six... At RadioFreeSatan.com Include a bio... And anything you want mentioning on air. We are open to any genre... Apart from rap. Deep Six also includes a fine selection of alternative rock... As well as multiple other genres. So why not jump on the roller coaster? That is Deep Six Radio. Deep Six is available on... RadioFreeSatan.com And also iTunes a week later. We, we look, look forward, forward to you joining us. End of the line. Oh God! No. Just me. Did you know that after the heart stops beating, the brain can function for well over seven minutes. We got six more minutes to play. 
Why are you screaming when I haven't even cut you yet? Welcome to Creature Feature. Welcome to another Creature Feature. I'm being joined today by Hydra M. Star, and we're going to be talking not only about her essay in the recently released Lilith Awakened, though we are going to be touching on that, but also some of the other projects that she's got in the works, and i got to tell you, there are quite a few of them. Hydra, thank you so much for joining me. How are you tonight? I'm doing fine, Adam. How are you? Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm good, and it's really a pleasure. Uh, before we get started, before we dive right into everything that we're going to be talking about, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? I was born and raised in North Carolina. Still live in North Carolina. Um, I typically describe myself as a simple country girl gone bad. <laughs> um, yeah, I was raised on a farm, on a working tobacco and cattle farm. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm just a country girl gone bad. I now live in Charlotte, North Carolina, so I moved to the big city. Nice. <laughs> that's really that's really kind of my story, I guess. Uh, is that something that because there's always that sort of uh, country and southern tale of uh, growing up on a farm and wanting to get to the big city? Was that something that was a big thing for you growing up, or did that sort of just naturally happen uh, with the direction your life took? I always wanted off of the farm. I um, I hated it. <laughs> I mean, I, I loved the animals. The animals were the only part of it I loved. I loved the chickens and the cows and the pigs and the goats. I had a pet black goat for a very long time. I loved all that, but as far as, like, the, the country, you know, everybody knowing everybody, everybody being in everybody's business, everybody's your second, third, fourth cousin, twice removed. Oh, wow. Um, that got really old. Wow. Got really old. I tell you, and, when it comes to, like, family and cousins and, and relations, I always have a real hard time with this sense of um, entitlement to your life that comes with that. Like, if there's at all any connection even in the remotest of distance, uh, they always feel like they can just come in and, and, and put their foot down and just take what they want and be a part of everything. Oh, yes. Be a part. Offer advice, suggestions. <laughs> and all of that. All that good stuff. Got as far away from that as I possibly could. <laughs> well, I got to tell you, um, I had no idea uh, where you were from prior to this interview. And I did not expect a southern accent at all from uh, the the online social sites um, correspondence that we've had. Yes. I was in the military for a while, and I did uh, some time in Georgia and Kentucky, and we'd do these cadences talking about southern girls and Carolina girls. And there's always this, uh, I don't know, it almost became like a fetish for me, <laughs> that southern girl voice. It's, it's really nice. Um, so, yeah, I was completely surprised when I started hearing that. That's nice. <laughs> when did you first realize that you were a Satanist? When I was in high school, um, we had a little, our own little local Satanic panic, if you will. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, that was the late 90s. I graduated in 97. I'm in June of 97. That was the year uh, Marilyn Manson hit really big. Mm-hmm. It was kind of, Satanism was in the forefront of everyone's mind. It was on, you know, MTV and all that. And I just went went down, had a few friends. Um, we used to go to the bookstores and all, and 
I came across the Satanic Bible and bought it. And honestly, I expected it to be kind of a cheap thrill. I was expecting a lot of um, more devil worship mm-hmm. type things. And it really just made a lot of sense. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, and a lot of it echoed things I already felt and believed in um, ways I viewed the world. And that was kind of all she wrote. No turning back after that. Nice. <laughs> I, was a, I was a Satanist, much to the chagrin of my entire family. So you did um, come out and, and tell them all at once? Oh, yes. Oh, oh yes. My, um, that is the thing about my family. We're all very um, open hmm. with each other. I had an uncle who was involved with the Luciferian cult before I was born. So, I mean, they, they were, um, they didn't know anything about real Satanism, but they were somewhat, I guess, prepared yeah. by him for that possibility. And, you know, I mean, really no one freaked out, <laughs> quite honestly. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, no one, no one gave me any trouble in the family. So, yep, came out. That was all she wrote. Nice. And uh, when did you first join the Church of Satan? Not very long thereafter. Um, I joined the Church of Satan as a gift to myself for my 19th birthday. Nice. Which would have been in early September of 1997. Oh, wow. So I've been a member for a pretty good haul. (laughs) Nice. And you say it was a present to yourself. Was Was there any motivational factor... Uh, for you to join um well you know adam at that time people you know people today that they get on the facebook and they um you know they go to the various church of satan member owned websites and they they interact and they hook up with other satanists and they um talk about satanism and they post about satanism and all this good stuff and in 97 there was none of that mm-hmm um, the Church of Satan's official website didn't come out until 1999, and I remember that quite vividly, um, visiting it for the first time. There, there was none of that. There was the Church of Satan's address in San Francisco in the front of the Satanic Bible, and that was your connection to other Satanists. And I'd written um, a letter after reading the Satanic Bible and being impressed, and asking for more information and received back um, information on Dr. LeVay's other books and things about um, the church and information on joining. And it was $100 at that time to join. And that was just what I wanted to do for my birthday. And I figured that would be, you know, kind of my um, way of showing respect to Dr. LeVay um, for what he had produced. And it was just what I wanted to do. <laughs> so do you think that you went into it at all with an intention of maybe reaching out to other Satanists, or were you content with just being, um, you know, the, the Satanist in your area and just being content with the, the for, books and the writings? And For a while, um, I did want to meet other Satanists. I did go to school with a couple of people who um, also became involved in Satanism and 
they sort of lost interest as the years progressed and I lost contact with them. There, there was that, that desire to meet other Satanists, but it wasn't the driving force. Yeah. I've always been perfectly happy just with a few close friends. So there was no driving force to meet and do rituals and that sort of thing. Yeah, and, and I mean, even for me, I, I, that was never really, like, I, I joined and then I just sort of fell off the map as far as structure goes, you know. I'd, it was years later before I ever even outed myself online or reached out to others. So I, I, it, it was sort of the same for me. Like, like I said, I remember vividly the Church of Satan's website going up, but it was years before I um, really made any contact online yeah. with anyone. It was probably late 2005 before I really made any sort of effort to do anything like that. Very cool. Um, let's direct this a little bit toward uh, Lilith Awakened here. How were you first uh, introduced to the idea of this compilation, and uh, you know, just how were you, um, uh, you know, how did you come about to uh, put your essay in here? Well, Anne contacted me. Me and Anne had been um, friends for a while on um, Facebook, and we had spoken, I think, once or twice via phone. Um, she contacted me, and the original idea of the book was about satanic women who had overcome rape and sexual assault. And that was a little narrow, I, I think, in um, topic matter. I, I talked to her about it, and I told her, you know, what I would like to write. And she agreed that it would be um, interesting. And it just kind of took off from there. <laughs> Nice. She really put everything together. I just um, wrote my part. Yeah. Um, can you tell us what topic it was that you convinced her that it was uh, a good fit for the book and, and maybe talk a little bit about it? Body dysmorphic disorder, uh, BDD. It's something I was diagnosed with, you could say, when I was in my late teens. Around the time... I discovered the Satanic Bible, in fact. It's a, I hate to call it a mental disorder, but it is a mental disorder that affects self-image. Basically what it is, it's an obsessive-compulsive disorder where the person becomes obsessed with one or more aspect of their appearance, usually in a very negative way, as I said, it's an obsessive-compulsive disorder, so there's a lot of... I can be a little OCD at times on top of this with checking the alarm clock five or six times before I can go to sleep, checking to make sure the door is locked two or three times a night, that sort of thing. But basically, with the um, obsession with appearance, is it ties a lot into the person's self-worth um, and self-esteem, and how they interact with other people. I don't feel I had a severe or I have a severe case of it because it never crippled me to the point where I wouldn't go out in public because there are some people who get to that point where they won't even interact with other people. 
it never got to that point with me, but there was a long time where I wouldn't allow photographs to be taken of myself. And I obsessed over um, my weight, especially. Yeah. And um, I would obsess over my cheeks, my lips, my forehead. I've always had bangs. I've always cut my bangs because I don't like my forehead. That sort of thing. I mean, it's very, it can be very crippling. Yeah. What, um, you know, doing a little bit of research for Lilith Wagon, I, I went and uh, previewed the book. And your story is, is really the, the first and only partially previewed story on there. And I had a real hard time uh, reading it. And it, it wasn't because of an emotional connection with, um, you know, m- maybe a, a family acting as, you know, a like manner, because I really have no connection like that. But I still found it like it was, it was, let's just say it was very difficult for me. Um, I immediately had an emotional connection to the experience that you were uh, narrating, and I wanted to react in that story, as absurd as that notion is. When you were writing this, is that something that you were trying to do? Were you trying to evoke an emotional connection or reaction, or were you just really putting what you had experienced down i was really putting it out there because a lot of it the the part i believe you're speaking of is the um where i tell of my grandmother sitting me down and explaining to me that i was fat and i needed to uh lose weight and take laxatives and uh make myself throw up and do these other things to um, trick people into thinking I was eating when I really wasn't. And you know, th- this sort of thing that, you know, I was basically going to be alone for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I didn't, yeah, you know, that's... I didn't lose weight. Um, that's just, that's just my experience. That was just my life. Um, I just wanted to put it out there in such a way that people could understand that that's really what happened. Yeah. That, um, you know, because for a long time, my family has has been in denial because I confronted my grandmother when I was 19 or 20. I confronted her on that incident in front in in front of the family. Mm. Um, And she just kind of brushed it off and said it was no big deal. That's just, you know, how it how. It is how life is. How life is. Wow. So you know, I just I kind of wanted to put that out there to the world that you know these things that these things happen and that it's not it's not cool and it does have a lasting effect. Yeah, I mean, a, a real powerful lasting effect. It's 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 amazing to me. Um, I don't know, and maybe it's coming from you know a position of a, a Satanist where you know. He, you focus on, well, you know, that's sort of a blanket term here, but um, I like to focus on um, my, you know, coming to my children here of, of what they are good at um, uh, and not really trying to mold them in any specific way, um, whether it's uh, appearance or, or actions. And so it's always hard for me to, you know, hear about or read, you know, people that really do, it's almost like, it's almost like they have no care about what the reaction or the result of what they're saying. Like they're so 
focused on how you may be perceived through them, like like they're going to get a reflection of of your appearance or something, and it's going to look bad on them, so they feel obligated to say something or, or force you to do something else. Or you know, it, it seems like it's less about you and more about them. I guess is what I'm getting at. Oh, this was with my grandmother. It was totally about her and her own issues. Uh, she was a long time anorexic. She was an anorexic right up until she died at age 91. Jeez. So it, it a, a lot of it was her own personal issues um, coming into play. But you know, I was I was nine years old when she gave me that speech. So issues be damned. Yeah. What whatever your issues are, you don't do that to a nine year old. Oh, yeah. So. So after you confronted your grandma, um, did this sort of stereotype continue, this this sort of idea well, of life? I am, thankfully, on my mother's side of the family, I was the only granddaughter. I have cousins who are um, males, but I was the only granddaughter, and my daughter is, to my knowledge, the only great-granddaughter. And... So it, it, it stopped with me. But my mother and her three sisters were all, um, all had eating disorders. Um, one of my aunts drank herself to death very early in life. She was maybe 50 when she died. Um, because she was the, she was the one that, you know, instead of eating, she drank. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's very it's a very destructive lifestyle, if you will, if you want to call it that. And my mother, I mean, my mother to this day, who I I, I don't speak to her very often, but she's still in the grips of it. Really? Yeah. I mean, she she still um, starves herself, and she'll take um, diet pills and things such as that to really speed up her metabolism to try and lose weight Jeez. or stay or stay at a certain weight runner. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's a family, it's a family affair. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you have a good relationship with your family now? I mean, with your grandma? Well, my, with you? Um, absolutely not. Um, when my grandmother passed away, this was five, six years ago. My mother called me to, um, Tell me that my grandmother passed away, and my exact response was, am I supposed to care? Well. Um, we were not. No. No. My grandfather, yes, I was close to him until he passed, but my grandmother, no. I'm not close to my mother either. I was close to one of my aunts, and she passed away a few years ago, but no. <laughs> We are not. We are not a close family. Yeah. And part of that is because I don't particularly want them around my daughter because the family greeting in my family is hello fill in blank god you've gotten fat holy shit i mean that that's the fan i mean my mother came my mother and my aunt and my uncle came to visit um when my daughter was two years old and i met them at the door and my mother says to me i had blonde streaks in my hair at the time and my mother says to me, your hair looks really nice, but, God, you've gotten so fat. What the hell? 
Yeah, so. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't come back after that. Yeah, I would, that's, that's poisonous to a child. Yeah, I mean, you know, my daughter was two at the time, and I was like, this is just not, she's not going to be raised around this. She, her grandmother's not going to give her the same talk mine gave me. Yeah, oh my gosh. Um, and can you maybe elaborate a little bit how how you feel Satanism helped you through this? It was a slow process. I mean, my identification with Satanism was more on the level of uh, philosophy. Mm-hmm. And not so much uh, self, not, not so much the I am God, um, I am great sentiment you see a lot of Satanists um, project. It was more philosophy, and it, it took a long time um, from reading The Satanic Witch Helped a Lot and understanding that not that our society has certain ideals that it projects that are not based on reality and Christianity and belief in God is one example of that but there are many others and one being the idea of what is sexy what is attractive physically and that that was a big that was a big thing for me um I had to process that because as I as I put forth in the essay, it didn't sink in right away. And I I feel if I'd read The Satanic Witch first, I probably would have said this LeVay character is really weird and kind of put the book to the side. But I, I'd read his other works first, and I understood where he was coming from and the way he saw the world. And I really respected him in his opinions on things. And I, I gave it, you know, I gave it a shot. <laughs> Can I ask what you found strange about the, the satanic witch that, that was maybe off-putting? Uh, the idea that a nine o'clock, as we as, we as Satanists see, it, see a nine o'clock being, that a nine o'clock could be attractive to anyone. That anyone would want to date have sex with Mary at nine o'clock. That just totally seemed just preposterous to my mind. And do you think that that maybe that reaction to it came from your experience with your with your grandmother? Maybe absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I was told from the time I was you know nine years old that if you weren't thin. If you weren't um, model, if you didn't look like a supermodel, in other words, mm-hmm. you weren't attractive. You had to have good skin, no stretch marks, no cellulite, and be like a size three. Well, <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny, I, I mean, you know, sort of out of context here, um, listening to it, I, I can find humor in, in the absurdity of that. I'm sure for you it was a, a much different take. It had to be very painful, actually. But yeah, it won't it won't funny at the time. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, just the the idea that someone would believe that because it's it's so far from reality. Like like even even yeah. today's standard, there's there is sort of this plastic young woman look that a few men I have met find appealing, but. 
I don't know anyone that, you know, it's 100%, yeah, I like that fake look because it's not real. Um, yeah. And that, that other part where you just ignore the individual inside of the skin, you know, that, that to me is really just crazy because that makes up really the sexy part of it. I mean, you could be attractive, but you, that doesn't make you sexy, you know? Attitude has a lot to do with sexy. Um, it's crazy that, uh, in my opinion, it's crazy that, that anyone could see just outward appearances being everything. That's, wow. Um, and, and very and that And that craziness mm-hmm. is the disorder of body dysmorphic disorder. Wow. That that insanity that your appearance is all important. Hardly anything else matters. So so this is a disorder. I mean, this is ongoing, right? Um, I have overcome a great deal of it. That I still have moments where the obsession kicks in, where I catch a glimpse of my hair in the mirror the wrong way, and I'm convinced. Um, going bald, <laughs> you know, yeah, just little yeah. crazy things like that. And when those things happen, now I just kind of take a breath and say, "Okay, Hydra, you're slipping back into that again," and just kind of shake it off and go on because that's what you have to do. And it's amazing that you, that you're able to to step outside of that obsession and 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 see it for what it is, and you know, sort of change the direction on the fly like that. That's uh, that it takes a powerful person to be able to do that. It 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 took a lot of years to get to that point to be able to do that. Nice. Uh, it took uh, a long time. How would you like your essay to be taken by others? Um, you know, through this work as a whole, maybe, but you know, on an individual basis. You know, I, I thought about that a lot when I was writing it because, you know, as I said, we see a lot of. Um, the attitude expressed by other Satanists that I'm the shit. Um, you know, I'm just great. I'm yeah, wonderful. I'm perfect. I'm, you know, the God of all things I see. Not, I, I, I guess what I'm getting at is that even though we're Satanists, we're, we're still going to have self doubt. We're still going to have issues that we have to overcome. And some of us have bigger issues than others to overcome. And that it's okay as a Satanist to have moments where you feel less than perfect. Hmm. You feel less than even whole. And that you have to find a way to be okay with who you are. And with your shortcomings and your disabilities, if you will. And then that's okay. It doesn't make you less of a Satanist to not be this perfect projection of womanhood or manhood. I would actually go so far as to say that if we're talking about a scale, um, it makes you maybe a little bit better. One of the most important lessons that I took out of And on the Vase writing and, and Satanism as a construct, as this abstract idea, is that recognizing what isn't perfect in you um, and working 
to what you are happy with. That's the the core of it. Having an overblown ego and a, a self, a, a, an idea of, of a sense of self, is counterproductive in a lot of cases. You have to have a self healthy mm. ego. Yeah, I mean that's very important, but it has to be realistic. Um, I mean that I, I'm in my show right now. I'm going through a bunch of um, you know how to be a god, the tenets, and and that's one of them is is being able to look at yourself and see your faults, and and that's going to help you be a better human being and a better god for you know yourself um and that's really the core of satanism it's not just shouting out to that the sky that you know i am a god god is dead it's (laughs) i would say it has nothing to do with that it has everything to do with your individual sense of worth and developing that and using it like actively using it in the real world yeah um so i think I, i think you've got the the you know, as for whatever it's worth, <laughs> the perfect outlook on that. Yes, um, and I, I think it's okay, and I think we need to realize it's okay to sometimes show that to the world. Mm-hmm. That I, I think that is important to show that side of ourselves sometimes. I mean, I'm not saying go out and, you know, tell every flaw and every negative thing you've ever, every mistake you've ever done, every negative event in your life, but. I think it is important to to speak about these sorts of things when they are a big part of who you are and your story. Yeah, absolutely. To to the people that you deem worthy, I think absolutely. Mm. Yeah, and, and I think the story that you put down here is is relatable on a lot of levels, and I think will be to a lot of people that maybe don't even identify with um, body dysmorphic disorder, but just on a human scale. You know, I, I think just on that interaction with family and, and everything. I mean, I am a very different individual than you, but I still connected at some level with that. And I think if I can do it, then virtually everyone out there can, which is what I think it, a powerful story makes. You know, if I can mm. broken English there. Um, you're involved in a lot of other projects besides Lilith Awakened. Oh, uh, yeah. Would you like to? <laughs> and it seems to be. Just piling every day. I see. It seems to be a new one every day, Adam. Uh, <laughs> what are some of them? Can you talk about some of them with us? Oh, hardly even know where to start. Well, the the forefront in the forefront right now is the anthology I'm putting together, um, titled "No One Makes It Out Alive: An End of the World Anthology." This was born out of a online group. A dear friend of mine, um, Andrea Dean Van Scoy, started called the Gothic Creative Association. And it's just a little online group for kind of dark writers and that sort of thing, poets Mm -hmm. and that, you know, that sort of thing. And I decided to put this anthology together to give group members and other writers I knew a chance to write about the end of the world. <laughs> nice. Now, is this an idealized end, or is this just a pure fictional end, or just depends um, on whatever the author wants to do for that, that story? I just, I left it very open to um, whatever the authors wanted to do. All, all I asked was nothing in the vein of um, the Left Behind series. I'm not. I'm not publishing anything Christian, um, oriented or pro-Christian. That was the only really um, direction I gave them because 
the, the writers um, from the group and in the anthology, as you can imagine, come from very um, diverse uh, religious backgrounds. So there's not, you know, I, I did ask that there would be nothing, you know, overtly like that. But uh, we have zombies. <laughs> there's, um, there's zombies. There's... <laughs> Or zombies. Um, a lot of zombies. Actually, actually, no. There's, there's only there's only two stories about zombies. Uh, that just seems to be a very prominent fixture in horror fiction right now. So I expected yeah, a lot more of it. Uh, there's some idealized time travel story. Nice. There's um, there's one about dragons and dinosaurs. Wow. It's kind of kind of fun. And um, I'm writing a piece for it about four Satanists set in the year 2086 that are dealing with the gates of hell opening. Oh, wow. And how um, real Satanists would deal with something obviously paranormal and obviously something they were not prepared for. Such as that happening. That can be a really fun read. Um, it's you know it's it's gonna be funny. Um, it's set way into the future, so it's not anybody you know today. <laughs> yeah, proselytizing. <laughs> no, no, nothing like that. So I mean, it's 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 a varied. It's there are four main characters in it, and it's a varied reaction from them to this very paranormal sort of event. How many different contributors do you have for this? Or maybe how many are lo- you looking for before you release it? Um, well, I have I have everything now. Um, okay. There's one more author who tentatively may be contributing. He's been having some personal and computer problems. Yeah. And I'm trying to get with him and, and get his, his story. Because he, he's a very good storyteller. I edited a novel for him a year or so back and he's very he's very good and I want to get him in on it but all the contributors have been announced um a fan page has been set up on Facebook can be found there's nine contributors besides myself I want to say a couple of them have um two stories in it Andrea Dean Vansploy for example has two stories in it um so yes it's it's going to be pretty a pretty decent sized little anthology. Not going to be hundreds of pages, but it'll be a decent size. When do you project that's going to be available? Right now, it's looking like towards the end of this month, beginning of February. Oh, that soon. It's yes, that soon. I'm formatting and doing final edits on a couple of the stories right now. <laughs> nice. Now, I did see on the social networking feeds that you uh, have your own article in Herotica. Is that correct? I have a column. Your that column. Every, for every issue of Herotica. The column is called The Beolian Woman. Um, obvious reference to the Crown Prince of the North there. <sighs> um, it's Herotica is a fun magazine. I was approached about the column and told I had free reign to write about anything I wanted and um, and do anything I wanted with the column that was mine. 
And immediately I, I brought uh, one of my nearest, dearest, and most best friends in the whole wide world, Dave Lipcombs, onto it as, um, as the artist. So he does art for it every month. And we write about a wide, or I write about a wide variety of topics. Ironically enough, the very first one was about Chubby Chasers. <laughs> It was cu- it was it was the Christmas <laughs> edition of Haraka. <laughs> it was called I titled it um, "The Fat Women Are Coming to Town and See You M I." Santa's never been happier. <laughs> um, so I mean, you can tell we're a very classy publication. <laughs> yeah. That's nice. So is that is that online only? Yes, right now it's online. They've been working on getting it in print, but I'm not sure where the publisher and owner of the magazine are at on that currently. It's been kind of bantered back and forth about that. But um, currently it's online at herotica.com. Nice. And it is an adults-only magazine. Stress this. Yeah, I don't think I have any kids to listen. I hope I don't have any kids listening to my podcast. But it uh, is an adult. If you're at work, don't go to the website. Do not go to this website. <laughs> Dave's artwork alone will get you in trouble. Nice. Uh, yeah, and it's it's a wide variety of subjects. I did one on um, Walpurgis Knot this last April, and the last one for Halloween was on. Um, Baphomet, the history of Baphomet. Nice. So, I mean, I, I, I do um, handle some rather serious topics, but the most recent one that I've just turned in that will be in the next issue is about sex toys. So. Nice. <laughs> it's not. It's not all serious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what maybe keeps it keeps it light for you as a as an author and and for the audience uh, to read as well. I mean, you don't want to get stale with the same old thing over and over again. Yeah, well, um, anyone who knows me and Dave um, Lipscomb, they know me and him take very, very few things seriously. (laughs) So it's all very tongue-in-cheek, and there's a lot of jokes and just little bad puns throughout. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I also have noticed that you are quite the crafty individual. You put out a lot of, of... um, wood burning projects, I guess yes. I call them. Yes. Do you want to talk about that for a little bit? Well, that's something I started years ago. Um, I did it off and on here locally, sold things, mostly Ouija boards. Mm-hmm. Um, made a half hearted effort a couple of years ago to sell some things online. Didn't really, um, didn't really do that properly. And now I'm back, and I have some things listed on eBay, and I've been doing that, trying to decide if I want to create a storefront or not uh, for it. But, yeah, I um, create occult-ish, pagan-ish, satanic um, items, mostly boxes at the moment with various things burnt into them. Nice. And also, like just recently, uh, like a book cover was it? Oh yes, that's the. Um, you're you're speaking of the book box I did. Um, I did that for my best friend's daughter um, for the holidays, and it's her favorite. 
it's um, her daughter's favorite book, Lips Touched Three Times. And it, I recreated the cover for that book onto this box for her and then um, stained it to match nice. the cover. Why, uh, why wood burning? When I was in middle school, we had an art class, and one day the teacher had a wood burning tool. And we used it, and somebody ended up burning themselves, and we never used it again. <laughs> <laughs> after that, I mean, I just I sort of enjoyed it, and then after that, it was years and years later, I was in a craft store. It was around the time I was pregnant with my daughter. And I saw a wood-burning tool, and I said, hey, I remember that. And just kind of picked it up and got some wood and set to it. Nice. And I made a, um, when I was pregnant with my daughter, I made a giant baphomet that I use as my altarpiece. Have you posted pictures of that? Because I think I've seen that. Um, Yeah, I'm pretty sure you have. I, I have it in a lot. It's in the back of a lot of my Facebook pictures and yeah it's i don't think there's a picture of it per se but it's in a lot of my pictures do you um uh take requests if people want you to produce something specific to them yes yes i I do custom work um the box i did for my best friend that was a custom piece Mm -hmm. where she you know contacted me and said can you do this um yes I, i do custom pieces uh, What's the best aim- way for people to contact you for that? Um, they can contact me either through my Facebook page. I have a Facebook fan page under Hydra M Star. They can find me through there. Or they can just email me at HydraMStar at Hotmail.com. That's my public email address. It's pretty widely known. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me. I, I appreciate the time that you've been able to devote to this um, show of mine. I, I know my audience is going to enjoy it. Lilith Awakened is available now, everyone out there, so please uh, go out there, investigate a little bit. You're probably going to want to pick up a copy. Um, pick up a copy for your mom, too. You know, it can't hurt, right? So, <laughs> I actually um, got my um, print copy today. Oh, nice. Also, I'm actually looking forward pretty heavily to that story on the end of the world that you were talking about that you authored so well that uh, should be out beginning of next month at the latest i will keep my eyes pilled and i also have another collection coming out soon of um stories that deal with i'm actually working on a whole series that deals with the four crown princes as characters oh really yes that's something i've been working on for a very very long time very long time do you have anything set up um, talking about that yet? Um, no, I, that is still the um, first book is going to be three short stories that deal with their lives prior to the quote unquote descent from heaven. And it sort of lays the foundation for the family structure within the family that is the ruling body of hell. So it's loosely based on uh, the Christian mythos of uh, angels from very loose, very loosely based on Christian um, mythology, um, it, Islamic mythology, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Wow! <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, it's a whole bunch of other stuff. We're we'll looking for that too. I'm always interested in hearing uh, 
different people's perspectives about stuff like that. Mm. Cool. Well, again, thank you very much for your time. I'm, I'm sure we could continue going on for quite some time with all Probably. the other things you got going on. I, I hope to talk to you again in the future when some of this other stuff is uh, released, so maybe, you know, maybe you'd be willing to come back on and, and talk a little bit more about those when that time comes. You are welcome to contact me anytime. Great. Have a fantastic night. Good luck with everything. Hail Satan. Hail Satan. Thank you for hanging in there. This was a really, really long episode. I know it, it, it takes a lot to sit down and listen to me, and uh, I do appreciate it. But that's going to do it for another show. I hope you enjoyed it, and I would love to hear from you. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let me know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. You can visit the SatanNet Facebook, Google+, Twitter, or MySpace page for 9 cents and get updated on weekly topics. Listen to the show at RadioFreeSatan.com or download the show Monday nights via my RSS feed found at 9CentsPodcast.com. You can also subscribe via iTunes by searching 9 cents. And if you do, don't forget to leave a rating or comment. If you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com. And if you'd like to hear other fine satanic voices, music, or personalities, visit radiofreesatan.com and online streaming radio station. Once again, thank you for joining me. And as always, I'm your host, Adam Campbell. And until next week, hail Satan!